This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars, and we'll be (laughs) chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun, and we We have a super multicultural community, and we kind of think that you might too, so why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. (laughs) Um, Also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. Alright guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye! Oh, hey guys. Hey. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. It's Elizabeth and Alex. Today, we're bringing an incredible guest to you. Her name is Wilma Mevasta, and she is the founder of Dark Beauty, a digital community for women of color. And she started Dark Beauty as actually her third business. So she's going to take us on her journey from being a young woman in Pennsylvania, going to Europe, um, first working in PR, getting her hustle on, and then working in vintage fashion, and all of that really resulting in starting her truest entrepreneurial journey later in life, which is Dark Beauty. The really cool thing I think about her story is that it always seems like she was ahead of time. Like she wanted to build a social media platform before anybody else really had a social media platform. So she didn't know how to do it. She didn't have the tools. And now in forming dark beauty, she really does have the tools. Like time has finally caught up with her so that she can build this awesome online platform. So dark beauty is part nonprofit and it's part profit for profit. And the nonprofit part of it is that she is working to give away 10,000 free hours of therapy to women of color. And she does this by creating a directory of different clinicians that are women of color themselves and finding the women who need them, connecting them with the women that really need the service. It's a great resource instead of, I don't know, it's daunting. Yeah. It's really daunting. So to be able to find it all in one place. Totally. And to have different options also because Mm -hmm. she takes us on her mental health journey and she talks about how certain modalities worked for her. Other modalities didn't work for her. Therapy is not just talk therapy. There's so many options. Totally. And maybe talk therapy isn't your starting point if that doesn't feel comfortable to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the really cool thing I think about this uh, journey for her is at the end when she kind of drops all of the incredible black women that are supporting her the incredible mm-hmm. well we're not gonna we'll let her we'll let her you. tell you but um she's really beginning to pick up uh, speed in building this company because well we need it it's amazing so yeah get why yeah so all right we're gonna stop gushing and we'll let you guys take a listen to our interview enjoy and we'll see you guys afterwards My name is Wilma May Basta. 
and I am the founder of DRK Beauty. We pronounce it Dark Beauty. Uh, and Dark Beauty is a uh, mental health and wellness platform for women of color. Our mission is to empower women of color to create their own well-being journey, uh, which is unique for each person. I love that. I really love that. Well, and where did you grow up? Where were you born? Uh, I was actually born in Chester, Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Philadelphia. Um, my my mother really wanted us to have a good education, so she moved us out to uh, the main line, which is a series of towns outside of Philadelphia, which historically were where uh, a lot of bankers and uh, moneyed folks lived. Uh, Chester is a is a is a ghetto, mm-hmm. and um, I we lived there till I was about three, and then we moved out to Devon, Pennsylvania, and then uh, Villanova is where I went to high school, and so I grew up out there my entire life, and then I went to live in Europe. Um, I studied in France as a teenager. Oh wow! That's I went awesome. and did. I didn't. Yeah, I did an exchange program for my junior year in high school, and I uh, landed in a very small village in the southeast of France called Saint Marcelin, and I lived there for a year. It changed my life. Wow! Um, oh my God, you were I so real- young. Yeah. What made you? What brought you out there? Like, what made you decide? How did the exchange program work? I suppose. So, well, well, first of all, the way, the, how I decided was my mother encouraged me to go. My mother grew up, uh, my mother was born in the early 1930s and in Chester, in the ghetto, and she was a, a bright woman, smart, and she got into a university in the 1940s uh, and one of the very few black women going to uh, a, ma- a mainstream university. She went to Penn State. And got a degree. That's a huge. I mean, I feel even. I'm white, and the women in my family at that time did not go to college. So for a black woman to go to Penn State, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it was. And so she was always very strong on education, but she was also really strong on travel. She Mm -hmm. had us traveling from very early on in our lives. Um, and she would, when I got into high school, uh, our high school did trips every year abroad and she made sure by, she didn't have, we didn't have a lot of money to be living out there, but, uh, she made it work and she, mm-hmm. um, she made sure that I got to go on the school trips every year to go to France oh, wow. uh, and Italy wow. that the other kids were going on. And it was, it was an eye opener to see Europe in the 80s um, when, you know, and see how the, how life was outside of this small little bubble I lived in. Mm-hmm. And so when the opportunity came up for, and our school has done, um, my school I went to, I went to Radnor High School, um, and that, they always had an exchange program historically for a long time with many different countries, Japan, Spain. That's incredible. Uh, I think in Italy as well, definitely France. And so she encouraged me to apply for it, and I did, and I was accepted. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, the first family I, st- I went to stay with, the girl, the, the, the idea was that their daughter or son would then exchange with my family. They would live with my family for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I arrived there with my mother, who came to drop me off, uh, the girl got cold feet and decided not to go. Hmm. I, I I can only assume that she decided a black family really wasn't going to be her thing. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, how, but, how much was she surprised? How wide were her eyes when she saw you? <laughs> well, she she would have known like that we were a black family yeah. before yeah. I got there. Um, I think there was either some letters written or things like that. Um I can't exactly remember, but I just think she got cold feet. So they very quickly found another family, and it turned out they were both the parents were teachers at the school. Mm. And their daughter, Sandrine, 
she was like, oh, yes, I want to live with a black family. Right. That, <laughs> that, 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 I'm down with that. That's, That's awesome. That's experience I want. I love so, it. So cool. So Sandrine lived with my family for a year, and I lived with hers. And um, What an interesting concept. Well, Far- it, foreign exchange students. It is, and it, that also it's says amazing. a lot about the two different ways that black Americans can be seen period, but especially from outsiders, right? On one hand, I assume that her excitement was because of like the culture of black America, right? Like, oh my God, these cool people, like, yes, let me go. And then on the other hand, this girl was fearful, right? Of whatever, of the unknown, but it says a lot, uh, mimics things today still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was interesting that you saw two, the two ways that I guess people can look at you. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing, here's the thing, right? So first of all, Sandrine and I are still, she's my sister. Love right? It. She yes. was my maid of honor in my wedding. And oh, I love, I love um, that's how you met. Yeah. And we weren't even together that year, right? We just, but we have a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's still in my life and my little French brothers. One of them I'm still really, I'm so close to, but he lives in Thailand now. Um, and the but it changed my life in the sense that when I got there nobody for the most part for all of the parts nobody cared about me being black and I realized that I didn't fit in in America Mm. I didn't fit in into the white school I was in I didn't really fit in and it was hard for me to fit in even with black culture because um you know I was seen as kind of not being really black because Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in that culture either Mm -hmm. so it I never felt like I fit in and in Europe no one cared Mm -hmm. like I just had the best time and I it changed who I was it it I became more of who I was Mm. and when I came back uh and I uh, graduated and I ended up going to NYU and my last year there I had the opportunity to study in England for three months and uh i met my first husband and the father of my children and i i stayed for 30 years wow <laughs> whoa yeah you were like uh dip my toes back in there it's europe for me <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right which is yeah. a similar sentiment that I, you know you've heard throughout the black diaspora for many years right like langston hughes and um just like all, so many great black americans uh, artists have fled to yeah. Europe and have seen the side of that the world could be. Um, yeah. Interestingly, I have a friend who just came back from Paris and she left. She's from bed went over there to finish her jazz album and just came back and she said, you know, Elizabeth, I've got to be honest, as much as I love Europe, it's much easier for a black woman to be an entrepreneur in America. Just the yes, system is much one. easier. Exactly. Yeah, which is exactly. which is very interesting because of the other stories that I'd always heard. And so the last four years, girl, I was like, get me out of here. I know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of heartbreaking to hear her tell me that. But, you know, I'm, I'm here, I guess. You know, you're, the, the world is a funny place. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Um, London in the 90s, early 90s, was amazing. Like, it was... I just felt like I have found the place where I can thrive. And I did. Mm. I, I did thrive. Um, again, I, I never, and I'm so proud of this, but I'm also just still mystified. As to, I knew in America when I left that I, it would be hard. And I was really ambitious. I still am. I knew it was always going to be hard, harder for me because I was a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to England, and I ended up working in PR, um, I was mystified as to why every single job that I had, I was headhunted for. Mm. I never, I never went, I never job hunted. I never had, and, and it was always word of mouth and someone came in with a better offer. And then I, my career went from zero to hero. Wow. And within the space of, I started out as an intern in PR and within the space of two years, I was the PR manager for Planet Hollywood when it first opened over wow. there. Wow. And then I took time off to have my first child. Then I was headhunted to come back into PR um, and was given the opportunity to run my own business and funded without even asking for wow. it. Wow. And I ran my own agency 
until the parent company was sold. And then I was thinking, okay, what do I do next? And before I could even finish the sentence, someone had said, hey, we'd like you to be board director of this big PR agency. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. So, so crazy. It just, all of it happened in the 90s. And and anyone who's who who was around during that time will tell you it was it was hard, and working in PR was hard with two children, mm. and you know it. But it was hard because and we are seeing Americans are seeing some of this now because of the uh, the media in the UK. Mm. No one knows how brutal it is, and I did celebrity PR. Okay. And we are now seeing how Megan mm-hmm. is having to deal with this in the Royals, all of this. I was working uh, during that time where they were hounding Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to spend weekends keeping my clients out of the news of the world, um, you know, which was the Sunday newspaper of The Sun, which is Rupert Murdoch owned mm-hmm. and is right wing mm-hmm. tabloid. Um, and you know, this is my career went so quickly that there were elements times where I just didn't, hadn't learned how to do a lot of this stuff. Right. But I had, I had a lot of chutzpah. Yes. And you know, so you kind of learn on the job. I wonder no, no if it, mentors. Well, I always say that I think, you know, people are coming and going, people are always coming and going from New York, but especially right now, a lot of people, oh, do I say, do I go? And part of me wonders if the part, like what New York is for is to, Learn the New York hustle and then take that with you wherever it is that you mm-hmm. end up. And I wonder if that's why you did so well over there because you just are like doing the New York thing. You know how to work. You know how to talk clearly, yeah. you know, you know, how to get yeah. the job done. They're like, who yeah. is that? Especially in London where everybody's so polite. <laughs> and here comes this New Yorker. No, I can... You've got to remember that Brits tend to be quite passive aggressive too. So <laughs> True. That, that politeness, you have to learn how to read, uh, read that, that, that quote-unquote politeness uh because there's layers under that which of course i didn't understand at first um and yes i spent four years in new york before i went there so i was ready to hustle and new york back in the 80s was tough Mm -hmm. it was tough new york now i lived in williamsburg back in the 80s you did it was it was rough wow yes yeah Damn. Yeah. I lived in Bed Stuy. I lived in Alphabet City. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it was rough. It was Damn. no joke. New York now is like Disneyland. Disneyland. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So um, I love that you're back in Williamsburg. I know. What's that <laughs> like? At a totally different point in your life. <laughs> yes. Well, now I have a wonderful place, and I'm you know it's a great place to be. I love the neighborhood. I love the shops and restaurants when they're open. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's lovely. I really love it. Um, okay, so back to your journey. You're in London. Yes. You're working in PR. You're, um, where did you go from there? What was your next steps? So, you know, looking back on a lot of this stuff, I feel like everything changed with 9-11. Mm. Uh, it felt like looking back, that was the turning point for so many things. Um, it was the turning point for my marriage. Um, it was the turning point, I feel, in that amazing, cool, funky vibe that London had. Um, and it started to lose mm. around that time. Um, and not because of 9-11, but I think 9-11 had a global impact. And I think the consciousness changed. Yes. Um, there were there was the government at the time. Things changed around that. And, um, you know, we had in London and the UK have lived with things like terrorism for some time with the IRA. So Mm -hmm. it it was, you know, wasn't something that was super new, right? What happened with 9-11, but the whole consciousness changed. And I think it it was sobering, but there was just something other energetic that changed as well around that time. And I felt that people were a little bit more, um, people just got more, I don't even know if I have a word for it, but it, I've I've spoken to a few Brits that uh, you know remember the '90s in 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 London, and they also agree. Like, yeah, that's kind of when things started changing, and maybe the veneer was taken off. Mm. Um, and so around that time, I, um, me and my husband, my husband divorced. My first husband, uh, amazing man. We have beautiful children, um, and we fortunately had an amicable divorce. Um, 
it took me a few years to kind of find my feet again. I left PR mm-hmm. as well um, and um, was trying to do different things. I did try a startup, but again, as you, as you your, your friend rightly said, it's not really a great place for entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, you know, they tend to, uh, and I'm sure some Brits might get mad at me saying mm. this, but they tend to follow America uh-huh. um, for a lot of things. Mm. And... Um, it, it now there's a startup scene in London, right? Yeah. But um, it was definitely an old boys club. And it was like, if you, you know, if you were a man and a white and, you know, you had a history working in banking or something, then right. you were taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my hustle didn't seem to work anymore. Mm. Um, and so I found myself just kind of going to something I felt more passionate about. And I discovered um, in the early 2000s, I discovered vintage clothing. Ooh. And it was, it was, to- and I never had a problem with like secondhand clothing. I wore a lot of secondhand clothing in New York in the 80s because, you know, there was just cool stuff and I would customize it. But I didn't really kind of know anything about it until I had discovered eBay. Mm. And started looking around on eBay because someone had, I met a girl in a shop who had really nice shoes. And I said, oh, my God, where'd you get those shoes from? And she said, oh, I got them from eBay. And I was like, eBay? Like the Beanie Babies like, thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, eBay? Yeah. And so I was like, let me take a look at this. And so I started looking at eBay and I started finding these amazing pieces. And I started buying stuff and I couldn't stop. And I got sucked into the whole eBay like vortex. Yeah. And, you know, and then you get into the auction and the, and the auction mentality. And I started buying a lot of vintage and realized I couldn't house it anymore, nor could I afford it all. Right. And I was like, <laughs> I got to sell this stuff back onto eBay. Right. A lot of stuff I was buying didn't fit, but I just fell in love with it. So I would keep stuff yes. just because they were beautiful. I know this feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know yeah. this feeling very well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I sold it. I sold. I started selling back onto eBay, and then I started looking at. I started getting under the skin of it and understanding why some things were selling for more, some were selling for less. And then I was researching the designers and what designers should I be looking for. And and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I had a username called Gathering Goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I had that was because I I had tried to launch. Actually, I did. I launched a social. Me, a social media network before Facebook called the Gathering Club in London for a yes. few years. You seem and to continuously basic- like be a little bit ahead of your time. Yeah, I know that's not a good thing all the time. Yeah, it's probably like heartbreaking. Just like when you see the future, but people aren't ready for it, yeah. or the technology isn't ready for it, isn't available. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and you're a black founder. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, no one was look, I had to fund myself and I got loads of PR for it. And, um, you know, it was a membership club to meet other people in London when you didn't hang out in bars and nightclubs. And I was divorced and I wanted to meet people. I didn't have like college friends there because I didn't go to college there mm-hmm. and I didn't work in PR anymore. So, you know, um, but I wanted I entertained at home. But I wanted to invite new people in. How do I do that? Yeah. How do you make friends as an adult? It's it's the never ending question, mm-hmm. like outside of work. Make, it's true. Exactly. Yeah. So I started the gathering club. And what we did was every month I would host a cocktail party somewhere in London so that the members who all paid about $500 a year for membership, we would meet someplace in London. We could all meet each other. And then we had a website that next time you had a dinner party, you could plan that dinner party on our website and invite a member of of the gathering club that you had met at a cocktail party to your existing friends network. Yes. Perfect. And so that way you could kind of like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but I was running it and it was just so hard. I didn't know how to grow it. I didn't know. And so eventually I closed it. um, And, um, I tried to get help, tried to find mentors, and not one single person would help me. So oh, you didn't know Zuckerberg, up... you mean? <laughs> 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 Please, like honestly, at that time, like who else? You know, 
what's the MySpace guy's name? Uh, Tom? Tom. That was it, right? Like, really making, like, these platforms. It's like Tom from MySpace and Mark Zuckerberg and not very many, and whoever did Friendster. But there was not, it's, it was so new, that concept. Yeah. And the way you just yeah. described it. It's basically it makes, the original meetup.com. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Plus, like, um, what's the invitation site? Oh, yeah. Like, Evite or whatever. It's like a combination oh, right. of all these different yeah. ideas that like we can now name, but like you actually never a name for it. these <laughs> at that time. Yeah. So it's like, that's right. It's, and it's not as easy as literally now we go on a website and you put in, I'm looking for a web developer and like you get 20 responses, right? Like they're, exactly. how do you do that at that time? Yeah, exactly. So that was, so I ended up going into vintage because I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with understanding the historical context of a lot of the pieces and really going deep and so I um that became a thing um and I got a lot of publicity for that um and I sold a lot in the beginning because there weren't many vintage dealers in the UK Mm. at that time like online right there were vintage dealers that had stores but I did mine online and I was getting really great stuff because I was um kind of coming buying stuff in the US and bringing it back to the UK to sell. Mm. And so that became the gathering goddess. And I ran that for off and on for like almost 15 years. Oh, wow. And in alt in the end, what I did was I actually kind of I was originally doing kind of cheap and cheerful. And then over time, I began to start collecting, uh, more rare and high-end collectible pieces. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I'd like to think that we were a center of excellence for, um, for quality pieces that, um, you know, we were able, some of the pieces that we were selling that were from, um, you know, lady so-and-so would deliver, wow. you know, 17 steamer trunks full of couture clothing to oh my, my studio that we would spend you know, six months researching. Sounds yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, so many it treasures. Was. Like really. Oh awesome. my gosh. Yeah, so cool. It was. And so we had a lot of the fashion um, colleges would send students to intern with me because I would teach them a lot about fashion history and garment um, identification. Mm. And, you know, we, because if, if a piece didn't have a tag, we had to kind of know how to date it. Yeah. Right? And there's certain telltale signs. How did you learn how to like authenticate authenticate and and do all of that so i wasn't one that really liked to go towards the obvious designers right Mm. so if someone said oh here's a chanel handbag to me that's boring right because frankly a new chanel handbag looks like a vintage one right but it's a status symbol which i'm not really into um so what i would do we would we would um when i would have students or not yeah students come and intern with me we would identify pieces by um the stitching right Mm. because you know, a lot of pieces were made when they invented overlocking. Uh, that was a period in time that defined there were different types of overlocking as well. So it, we would start to learn how to identify what type of overlocking was present and then what decade that was from. And then we would have to see whether or not the threading was actually cotton wow. or synthetic, which would help us. And there are certain ways to determine if it's what if, if it's cotton or if it's um, if it's synthetic. Um, we would look at the design, right? And I would I would sit. I wouldn't put a piece on the floor unless I really felt strongly I knew what it was, because there's always a chance you might sell a piece that was really an important piece and you might sell it too cheaply mm-hmm. because you hadn't done your work. Cause that was actually, like, we had a piece. Um, uh, oh my God, I'm going to have a, um, Ozzy Clark. So, um, Ozzy Clark, very, very famous British designer had a Renaissance. I think Sienna Miller must've worn some, or, uh, or Kate, uh, Moss wore some Ozzy Clark and all of a sudden Ozzy Clark went from being, $100 to find a dress to $1,000 mm. oh, almost overnight. And I had a piece that he had done in um, college. So it didn't look like a traditional Ozzy Clark piece. Wow. And I had it for years mm. because I was waiting for people to try and get it authenticated mm. because I didn't want to sell it for $10, mm-hmm. right? When I knew that this could be a piece of history and mm-hmm. I wanted it to either go to a museum or to someone who was a true collector. 
And so I had it for years. It took years for us to to um, to place it mainly. And it was just like a little velour 60s kind of top dress. It was super tiny. And uh, and yeah, but it had, I think, one of his first labels in there. Wow. And so oh, that's really awesome. That cool? Yeah, that yeah. was my that was my my love, and it still is. I still is. But here's the thing: that I I unfortunately with vintage, it's almost impossible to create a scalable business, right? Because you have one of everything, mm-hmm. and um, it's not really a business you can retire on. Mm-hmm. Um, for in my opinion, right? And so I wanted to build a business. I kind of got. I was ready for the next chapter in my life. I'd already been remarried. Um, acquired three more stepkids. Wow. Um, <laughs> like, I already got a new husband, acquired. new kids. What's next? New husband, new kids. Uh, my life has never been traditional. And, and, I'm, and I say acquire. I didn't, you know, they're not acquired. <laughs> they, they, you know, and it wasn't easy. And they, and they didn't live with us full time anyway. So, um, but. Um, that's five. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm keeping count, that's yes. five altogether. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. Even if part time. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, but uh, but but to be fair, my my children uh, lived in Sweden for several years with their father, uh, who remarried a Swedish woman, and so I again, like I said, I didn't have this traditional life. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. It's like, you know. But I I realized I wanted a new chapter. Yes. And that. I wanted to create a business that I could be a service and also I could scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur at heart and uh, have a wealth of experience. And yet my, my, uh, my resume probably wouldn't get me hired today anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, that's high, that's kind of the uh, risk that you take, right? When you step out on your own is it's like, this is either going to work and it's going to be great. And if it doesn't, there's going to be a long lapse <laughs> in my resume. Totally. But I mean, I think too, is if you take that chance on yourself, there isn't a plan B, right? It's just like, oh, this is what it's going to be. We're going to figure it out. I think, I think there's just, I have a, I've always had a belief in myself that I'll always fall on my feet. And I think that, not and I don't carry a lot of fear um and when I do I I kind of figure out ways to work through that but Mm. um so I do it anyway right and I literally announced in a uh, I came to New York three years ago uh, in November and but uh, September I announced I was leaving to everyone including my husband Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I said you can come if you want I'm not leaving him (laughs) but just leaving leaving the UK yeah and um, (laughs) he's like what like wait what I said yeah I'm moving to New York we're paying for it and I'm going to start my business my new business Uh (laughs) and I said my goodbyes to everybody in October and then I moved here to Williamsburg, and it's not been you? easy. What's that? Did he come with you? He is back and forth. 
All right. He comes back and forth. Like Sounds that. nice, honestly, for no, both but of I, you. I, I just, I respect that so much that you, yeah. I mean, oftentimes, like for women, uh, your your husband, your partner is, uh, takes up so much of your life, right? But I like that too. You're just like, you are a part of my life. I'm going to take my life over here. I'd love for you to come with me. If you don't, we'll figure it out. But like, this is what I'm going to do. That's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. really, it's really very cool. That. Yeah. I fought for that. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure it didn't that. happen just like that. But it's very, <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. So that was, that's kind of how I got back here. And um, I spent a lot of time, about two years, preparing to launch the business and, um, you know, bootstrapping it before launch. And then COVID hit. Well, but. Before even COVID, what gave you the idea that you wanted to help? What what gave you the idea for uh, Dark Beauty? Even though you knew you wanted to be of service, what you're doing is very, uh, not out of left field, but you haven't done anything. (laughs) So far in your journey, it doesn't really sound like you've done much of, um, you know, like mental health work, therapy work, anything like that. Not that you haven't. You just haven't told us about it yet. So I wonder why this specific (laughs) road you chose. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, gosh, where do I start? So soon after I got married, um, so I, we married in 2007, uh, we met in late 2004, uh, on a early ancient dating app called Yahoo dating. Oh my God. We were just talking about Yahoo dating, weren't we? (laughs) (laughs) I worked at a day camp when I was in high school and one of the counselors met her boyfriend on there. And I remember thinking it was so weird. I was like, you met him on the the internet? Because at that point I had only been in chat rooms talking to weirdos, you know. I I didn't realize that this was the dating of the future, you know. Um, yeah. Oh my God, that's a throwback! So I love, love it. it. Yahoo dating. Yeah, so and people it. were still ashamed to talk about meeting on a dating. Right. I wasn't. I was like, <laughs> not surprising. On a dating app. If you have a problem with it, that's your problem. Enjoy it. <laughs> and look, but your but your mindset is always very um, thinking of the future without even knowing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, this is yeah. what we do, and this is what we're gonna do forever, and it's true. Yeah, and I've always been. I, I've always loved tech and. My friends, some friends of mine call me gadget bitch. So I've always been, <laughs> I've, I've been that bitch. bitch. I love it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no. So when we met, um, he was uh, separated with three boys. And I was like, oh, my God, do I just sounds like drama. Mm. And um, I but, you know, I fell in love and. You know, he had already moved out. And so basically we, we ended up getting married in 2007 and, um, it was, it was not easy. Uh, the whole blended family thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had moved out to the countryside. We bought a great big old house with a lot of land and, uh, you know, we thought that was going to be great for the kids, but you know, we made a mistake in that, right? But because they, they were teenagers by this point, so it was oh, not a cool oh, place yeah. to be. Yeah. So, but gradually things were just becoming awful, and over time, I started spiraling downwards and downwards, and I had no real support uh, from anyone, and including my husband. And there were a lot of uh, things going on with his side of the family that were really, you know, toxic. And so I didn't see, I hadn't known mental health before that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, know anything really about depression. And, you know, as a black woman, you know, the message I always had was that's not for us, Mm -hmm. right? That's not a luxury we can have. And, you know, I remember my mother telling me that about that's, yeah, that's I mean, I like, what do you often. have to be sad about? Yeah. Look at you living out in the countryside, mm-hmm. like lady so and so, and you know, in a big old manor house, and you know, you've got money in the bank, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but also from the black perspective, it's like you know, my mother would say, had said to me, "Well, black people don't faint." I think I told her once I was, I was lightheaded, 
And she's like, black people don't faint. We say the most ridiculous things together. about ourselves. You're Plus, a fainter. I faint like a goat. Like our friend calls me a fainting goat. I just drop <laughs> since I was a kid. But like, yeah, we say a lot of crazy things about ourselves. Black people don't faint. <laughs> well, exactly. But I know exactly but what she the means. the general be message of that, yeah. yeah. the message of that is like, get it together, be strong, take yeah. a glass of water and lay down for a second if you have to, then get back up. There you go. Yeah, and I that was, heard that, that too, was girl. Message. And this, <laughs> right. And, you know, so after, so I was trying to kind of keep it all together and until I couldn't, and mm. I couldn't get out of bed. And I had, um, you know, ended up checking me and my kids into a hotel because everything was just crumbling around me. And I was crying for 24 hours. My kids were freaked out. And a friend, all I could do at that time was just call a friend of mine. And I had just started seeing a therapist. And the my friend, I just called him and said, I can't get out of bed. I, I can't move. All I can do is cry. I don't know what to do. And he, he said, OK, I'm on it. And he, who was an amazing human, um, he somehow miraculously found my therapist I just started seeing, even though he didn't have her name, her number. Wow. Um, I couldn't even, I didn't even have enough capacity to even give him her number. Mm-hmm. And he called me, he called me back and said, I found her. She's in holiday in Greece. I'm like, how did you find oh her in God. Greece? Oh my God. He called wow. every registered therapist and was like, <laughs> I, he probably that? did. Yeah. And he, he said, right. She said, get you to the Capio. And I'm like, what's the Capio? And he says, don't worry about it. I'm sending your friend Jill down. So Jill comes down to the hotel room. He arranges for my kids to go to their grandparents. And um, Jill takes me over there. And I'm sitting there going, maybe I should just go to India. Maybe. And she's like, okay. I'm literally calling my friend in India going, I, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, but maybe I should come in. She's, and my, like, and my other friend, like, my other friend's calling Jill going, just take her to the Capio. Don't let her book a flight to yes, India. Yes. So, so, <laughs> I guess anybody's they, been entertaining this. <laughs> it was, I mean, so I, I turned up at the Capio, which turns out to be a psychiatric hospital. Mm. And um, which I don't really know until I get there. And then I'm sitting on the side of the bed and the nurse, the male nurse comes over and he says to me, "Um, do you feel safe? And I look at him, I go, what a strange question. Mm. And then it dawned on me about 30 seconds later that, oh, my God, I do feel safe. And it was like this whole big, like, waterfall just drenched me and of awareness of how unsafe I felt, not only in the life that I had right then and there, but my entire life. Mm-hmm. It all the stuff started coming back, like when I didn't feel safe as a child and I had sexual abuse, which I didn't even acknowledge mm-hmm. until I was in my 30s. Wow. And so all of this stuff came over and I felt as if they were catching me. Like I was falling back. And for the first time in my life, I felt that someone caught me. Wow. Damn. So, you know, and I get really, I still get emotional about it. I'm getting getting emotional. emotional. Yeah. It's really (laughs) incredible because, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know about other people. I've definitely felt that before, for sure. Especially, you know, in this past year, like the pandemic and just feeling like, what the fuck is happening? What are we going to yeah. do? How's the world going to be? Like, it's terrifying. It's really scary. Yeah. And when you can't do anything about that. And then that feelings have mm-hmm. a feeling, I don't know, like a warm bath, right? Just yeah. feeling like, okay, yeah. like, okay, we're going to be all right. That's incredible. And realizing yeah. that for the first time in your life, you never felt that before. <sighs> I yeah. just didn't acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. You know. So, so six weeks later, um, and, and the interesting thing was, you know, you learn um, in many ways it was the worst experience of my life, but it was also the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, I learned so much about mental health. Um, I saw, wow, I saw people from all walks of life. Um, and this was a place that wasn't some sort of posh rehab type center this was like everyday people, but we had people from A-list Hollywood celebs in this place mm-hmm. to people who were on the dole or on welfare to 
you know, young and old, accomplished, titans of industry, but also, you know, older women who were confronting death, who were depressed, mm-hmm. you know, a young Brazilian girl who, you know, had, you know, was dealing with sexual trauma to someone who worked in a hospital who had, you know, had um, addiction issues and all sorts of things. And mm-hmm. it was, in many ways, it was it was traumatizing to hear their stories every day. I remember how um, anxiety-filled I would be after leaving group uh, therapy sessions. And but yet, in many ways, it was really healing. And but it was it was only the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. It was only the beginning because when I when I came out, you have to then start living in the real world again. It's very quickly that you get quite mm-hmm. institutionalized into this space. And then the real world becomes really weird and 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 scary to be in because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in this nice little safe bubble. Right. As traumatic as that is, because you know you're listening to people being brought in in the middle of the night and screaming and all of these things that are going on, and yet you're finding that that's actually feeling still like a safe space because mm-hmm. you have to go back out into the real world. So when I did get back out into the real world. Um, and, and to be fair, I was lucky. My, my, uh, my depression was, albeit severe, was situational. Mm. Um, there were a lot of folks in there that will be living with this, this imbalance, this chemical imbalance for their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I made a decision when I came out that, well, when I went in, I made one decision, which was I wasn't going to hold shame around it and that I would share it because everything had been stripped away. No, there's no facade anymore once you go into a psychiatric mm-hmm, hospital. Right. Everybody's going to know about it. Yeah. Everybody's going to know. Wilma went into a psychiatric hospital. They were going to have their judgments. I could do absolutely nothing about them. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, that's liberating to let go of any of that fear of what other people think about yeah. you. Yeah. Well, so also then, you're feeling better, right? It's like if you're well, if you think about me, I don't know because you said when you went in there, you you didn't realize that you never felt uh, safe, right? And so coming out, you have this whole new sense of awareness, and yeah. I can imagine that maybe that sense of awareness is like I would hope would be strong enough that you say fuck what anybody else thinks. I'm better from going through going through this situation, which is difficult. Um, That's not a very it's not easy at all. No, it's not even, I think that what, what it is, is that you're not fixed after six weeks, Mm -hmm. right? You're just, they're just like, okay, that's all we can do for you. You have to leave now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, so, and, and, and what I, what I very quickly discovered was that it's not, it wasn't the full suite of modalities that I needed to heal. It was only one part of it. And that was the kernel, really, of of the concept for dark beauty, because as I went along that year, and I spent most of that year, I made a really good friend in the hospital, and um, um, I spent most of the next year out in the countryside with my friend in this big-ass house, mostly by myself, because my husband was in in London at that point. And I thought, I'm going to figure out how I'm not going to get back in there again. And I'm going to I'm going to try and figure out what are the tools that I need. And so I began to explore. I did go to India in the end to an Ayurvedic hospital there, which was amazing and game changer. So Ayurvedic medicine was really helpful. Um, I started exploring Buddhist philosophy through the books of uh, Pema Chodron amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that talk therapy wasn't really my thing. I needed some talk therapy, but I also needed a sense of spirituality and I needed a sense of love and not just a clinical session. Mm-hmm. It's different for everyone. Uh, so I found something called life alignment, an amazing woman named Philippa Lubbock who, who practices this and she has been instrumental in my healing, uh, for the last decade. Um, and uh, I did Hoffman Process, uh, which is another amazing uh, course. It's a week-long residential course, which some people say it's like 10 years of therapy in a week. Wow. It's hard work. Um, a lot of uh, well-known people have done this. It's been around for almost 50 years. Uh, and it was, again, instrumental for me. And my husband did it. You have to do it separately. as You can't do it as a couple. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I started basically building my own wellness toolkit, mm-hmm. which I had to really hunt down for. And, and especially as a woman of color, there was no one place I could go to to find out where all these things are. Mm-hmm. And I just think everyone's wellness toolkit is individual to them. Yeah, and, totally. Um, and although it wasn't the original idea for Dark Beauty, it's what we have pivoted into um, mm-hmm. because of COVID. And uh, this platform that we're building will be uh, the place where women of color can go to to start to build their own uh, wellness journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a little tour down the site last night, and I think I think it's excellent. I mean, it's it's fantastic. No, we're not even we're not even there yet. Like the, the, yeah, all all the stuff. This is just that's just our little blog. Really. Yeah. Okay. So then, what's after? What's next after the the little blog? Well, first you're doing. Can you explain to our audience what you what Dark Beauty is doing right now? I believe that you're give, you're raising money for to have ten thousand hours of therapy for women of color, right? right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so last year um, we had uh, the the mission stays the same and it always has been that we want to be of service to women of color and we want to help them to thrive. But the first uh, iteration of Dark Beauty we were just launching in November 2019. And then it was just a blog and a uh, Instagram account. And then we were going to, it was going to be this sort of community-based platform. But by obviously a few months later, COVID hit. So Mm -hmm. we were like, okay, what do we do? And we were just putting content out that we were responding to what people were looking for on a daily basis because everything was so changeable then and everyone was scared. And then around the end of March last year, uh, I, I literally woke up in a, um, a panic with, um, I just didn't, I just thought no one's talking about the impact this is going to have on black and brown people. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I got up and I, and usually now when I do, ha- I don't have panic attacks often and I, but, and, and, or anxiety, but when I do for me now, I, I see that as my higher self trying to message me like going, hello, mm-hmm. I got something to tell you. Wow. As uh, I go into the shower, I usually have my, my best ideas there where I go into meditation and, um, and what came to me was free therapy for black women. That was the message. Mm-hmm. Give, give away free therapy, not just for black women, but for women of color. <laughs> But I knew that black women were going to be the main focus because I think that, you know, our communities were going to be hit the hardest mm-hmm. and have. And so um, I got on the phone with my then co-founder and said, I think we should give away free therapy. She's like, how do we do that? I said, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. So um, I had an intern start with me who was a Columbia grad student named Shara. And uh, I said, right, this is your first day. You and I are going to figure out how to give away free therapy. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm in. I love it. <laughs> and uh, we got on the phone with therapists. Uh, we, we just kind of like Googled some and we emailed and called them and we hopped on calls and very quickly discovered that many therapists give away about 20 hours a year pro bono. Mm-hmm. And so I said, would you give me 10 of those hours? First therapist said yes. Second therapist said yes. I said, could you tell like 10 of your therapy friends? And they said yes. And I got my developers to build a, a directory on our site. And, Amazing. Uh, May the, yeah. and Incredible. They, thank you. And, they, um, and then on May the 15th, we launched Dark Beauty Healing, which is our initiative to give away free therapy to women of color in America. Uh, we started with a few hundred hours. And then, by, uh, then George Floyd was murdered. And uh, we ended up having a lot of uh, therapists donate more hours to us. So by July, we had... 2000 over 2000 hours of therapy donated wow. uh we have 120 clinicians in our network and we wow. uh cover 60 percent of america now wow that's incredible did patients find you guys through social media mostly and pr we're we we have been getting a lot of pr um and through social media and word of mouth mm. and so we, you know, uh, in the summer, Cynthia Revo, the award-winning actress, I discovered saw us. This. That's so cr- so incredible. Sorry, I'm, I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 incredible. But here's the funny thing: was she had seen, um, she had seen a story about us through one of her friends on Instagram, and uh, who happened to be friends with my then co-founder, and she said. Uh, 
oh my God, this looks amazing. I want to get involved. And so she messaged, she got in touch. They messaged my co-founder. My co-founder said, you do know this is Wilma that founded this business. She went, what? Oh my God. And so- How did you guys know each other? Well, she's British and I used to dress her in vintage clothing for two years. (laughs) Oh my God. So everybody knew who she was. So good. And I, I did a lot of red carpet dressing um, because that's the only way I could get PR for my business, selling one of everything. Mm-hmm. And so I would go out to all the managers and agents in, in London and said, all the young actresses that nobody dresses, that the big designers won't dress, send them to me. Wow. So Cynthia, wow. I dress an actual Jeff genius, Chan. I just have to say. Well, What's a badass. That? You're a genius, <laughs> a genius and a badass. And also just like, I'm going to figure this out. Like whatever, yeah. whatever's in my way, I'm going to figure it out. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely my mom that instilled that in me. <laughs> That's <laughs> so great. Uh, so yeah. So, so anyway, so, so Cynthia came on board and she's like, I'm going to support you and I'm going to donate $25,000. And we did a, we, she did support us and we did a, um, a fundraiser where she, she and Lala Anthony co-hosted a virtual fundraiser with mm. Michelle Williams. So uh, nice who I actually have a call with today because we're, we're looking at doing some stuff together and some other amazing people like Jessica Marie Garcia and Yaya da Costa. And so I realized that's like, oh my gosh, okay, so we have now a nonprofit side of the business and then the for-profit side is basically going to be this amazing app which we're working on where uh, you'll be able to find healers and teachers and clinicians so cool. of color for women of color, right? Yes. And not just black women. But yes. South Asian women, East Asian women, Latinas. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether you're looking for an astrologer or you're looking for a, a, a faith-based course or a, a healer or a, 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 someone to have talk therapy with or art therapy, mm-hmm. or I want to I look into what plant-based medicine looks like. This is the place you can go to. So great. And you'll be able to, to find your teachers your healers your courses your content and your group sessions it's so important it's so important like there's so many nuances that you know any individual person will have but specifically people within certain groups specifically like groups that have been marginalized historically and you just want to have conversations with somebody who you know understands with somebody you know our friend Chelsea the other day said that her therapist was like a good therapist isn't Looking mm-hmm. at you from uh, above the hole, you're down in a hole, and a therapist's like, "Hey, hey, you want me to get you a ladder? I'll help you out." No, a good therapist is in the hole with you. Like, bitch, how are we gonna get out of here? We're gonna figure this out. And like, it'd be nice if she looks yeah. like me. <laughs> you know? yeah. But also, and I mean, not to say that anyone who needs help is severely depressed, but if someone is severely depressed. I'm sure it's extremely daunting to be searching on the internet, figuring out what you need to be able to go to one website that Mm -hmm. really has everything kind of laid out for you is probably a huge deal when things are feeling like so heavy for you. I've tried many times to find a black therapist and it's, I don't even know how you do it on the internet. Like it's just so over, you said it perfectly. It's so overwhelming. How do you even start? How do I even know if this person's really for me? Because black is just like one touching point. That doesn't mean that we're immediately mm-hmm. going to get along. And then, yeah. Right. Just, the fact that they're part of a network that is yes. kind of specific is also a big deal because it's like, okay, I see what their mantra is. And I yes. know that the people associated with them are, are maybe my people because I agree yeah. with this mantra. And if she doesn't work, maybe like she'll that. work. That's right. so great. Yeah. yeah. So great. Even little things like I got a great massage last week and it was fantastic but I just thought like man I wish this I wish that this was like a young black woman like I wish that this was somebody that at the end I could connect with and really like like homegirl down with and like the woman was lovely and it was a great massage there's nothing wrong with it but you know I just wish that she was like his sister so yeah yeah, and it's hard to find those things and yes have one database we will I would like to believe that we will be able to just be all you know be able to just find folks it, I don't think it's going to be in our lifetime where we can just kind of be ourselves as ourselves as our soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but I think that because, and I wish, I wish in some ways, I wish America would apologize for slavery in some way, shape or form. In or, some or, ways? Or take some, <laughs> in whatever way that takes, to take responsibility for it as a starting point for healing. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel that, that, that 
I wish that would come. Yeah. And I think that would be a really powerful thing. But I, in the meantime, we have to get on with healing ourselves. Yeah. And what I want to be able to do is help people to start. And I think people have to take responsibility for their own healing. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. Mm -hmm. So, but to have the help to be able to go and find that and craft your own, you know, your own team. Totally. And then, you know, and when you were talking about finding a therapist, you know, it is hard. So one of the things we want to be able to do is to have like, where a therapist has their own group. You can get to know that therapist before you go and see them through either some of the group healing sessions mm. or that they have like a video intro about who they are okay, and yeah. then give touch points to be able to, to, um, to snack on before you kind of go and have the whole enchilada. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might be helpful in, the, in, in finding the right therapist for you. And um, also, and I know we're kind of running out of time, but even just like within our community, we don't, like the Jewish community, everybody goes to therapy from what I understand. I mean, oh, yeah. not everybody, We're, but like us Jews are filled with anxiety <laughs> and guilt, and, but it's very normal in your culture. Like it isn't like this taboo thing. Like yeah. we don't talk Growing about up this. on Long Island as a Jew. Everyone, everyone is just therapy, like, right? Oh yeah, my therapist. Everybody's in therapy. Like, I only have, I've only, I have one good girlfriend that, we talk about like that we have ADD and that we like have a psychiatrist one. That's it. I don't know any other black people in my life anyway, that even talk about going to therapy. Do you know, it's very new. It's this thing that you said it before. Like we just don't do it. We don't talk about it. It's not for us. It's so just to, yes. Right um, yes. So just to even have yeah. like a group of people saying like, no girl, you need it bad <laughs> more than most probably because <laughs> and of that's it. okay. Because and that's look okay. at all, look at this whole community. Yes. A hundred percent. So that's really, really cool. So like, Thank I'm you. obsessed with this. I know. Thank I was you getting so all the feelings. Yeah, when I was reading about it. <laughs> Me too. Sounds so I told Alex I was getting in bed late, and I was like, "Okay, I just need to do like one quick Google." I was looking for an hour, girl. I was reading all your stories. <laughs> oh my lord! So good. Yes, because it's I just... need to Google myself. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, <laughs> it's all good stuff. stuff. <laughs> but just very, very inspiring and very um, necessary and timely. For sure. For once, time yeah. is on your side. Oh, my God. I you right? did it. You, <laughs> yes. Time caught up with well, you. caught up with you. Exactly. I hope so. I mean, we're, listen, we're still a scrappy startup, and we're fundraising on both sides of the business. You know, we're raising money for Dark Beauty Healing, um, and we are raising money for Dark Beauty. And, you know, the fundraising side of things is, is uh, incredibly time-consuming, and when you're running a business and when you're running both a nonprofit and a for-profit, um, trying to get that off the ground is hard. So that is the challenge at the moment. And in some ways, you know, I conserve my energy, you know, um, and I think with COVID being able to sort of just be, you know, focused, like laser focused on this without going out and socializing as much as maybe I did before, yada, yada, then, you know, it allows me to kind of just also have those moments of peace mm -hmm. um, where I can kind of regroup myself. Um, For sure. So, yeah. Um, can people yeah. donate? They can donate to your fundraising? Can yeah, there's a donate button on our website, I believe. I need to double check that. But we have a GoFundMe donation um, and they can find that either on our Instagram account. Uh, this is DRK Beauty. Uh, or on our website, this is drkbeauty.com. So great. Awesome. Is that the best way that everybody can support you right now is to donate? Uh, yes. Or if you are a clinician um, or a healer or a practitioner um, and you want to become part of our network, then uh, either DM us on Instagram or sign up for our newsletter on our website and we'll be sending out e emails. We're going to be onboarding our first uh, cohort of teachers, healers, clinicians, practitioners um, in a few weeks. So, uh, and then that will always be ongoing, but we're looking for our sort of first brand ambassadors right now. So. Awesome. awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank you so, so much for chatting with us. You are thank so you. incredible and I'm so looking forward to watching your brand grow and, and flourish and thrive. Hey guys. Oh, hey. Hope you enjoyed that wonderful interview with Wilma. Does she go by Wilma May? 
That's her full name? Okay, we'll just say Wilma. Um, She's so inspiring. And also, she told a very intense story about her life that I can imagine is really hard to tell. Mm -hmm. And she got emotional. We all were getting emotional. But what what an amazing pivotal point in her life because it directed her to what she is doing now. And I think this is going to be I know that it's amazing already and yes. it's really so needed yeah and um I mean first of all listen to the names that are backing her I know yeah and they're backing her because this is a hundred percent a platform that's needed and especially after the year that we had especially yes. just seeing you know seeing so the much world of the, fall to shit yes exactly seeing the world fall to shit seeing you know, people that look like you get murdered and like sprayed across TV all the time and, you know, mm-hmm. just living through like some really traumatic events and pretending like everything's normal for all of us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I saw somebody write on Twitter like, so this is like a year that we just all pretended like nothing was going on. Like the fire dumpster fire behind us wasn't working. We literally became that meme. <laughs> oh, my God. It's true. It's true. And it's just it's, it's not true. normal for us to get chills. <laughs> fucking true (laughs) so people recognize that we all really are going to come out of this or stay in it and just need to talk to somebody we need resources like this we need even more resources like this and thank goodness that we've got some someone that's like a badass like her i know so strong and so confident i know and it kind of comes back to when she had that social media platform it's kind of like that in a way and just like a it's a different life for it where it's still connecting people and Mm -hmm. now her timing is right on point right on point Mm -hmm. man i'm happy for her too me too you can tell she loves she loves that she's doing this yeah and and it must be feels so um kind of like validating to have this idea for something that you really want to do like you really want to make you just don't have the tools to make it but you know that it could be something great and then yeah now the technology is there and you can Mm -hmm. do it and everybody sees that you can do it and everybody's excited for you to do it and it's like let's go also she's someone who makes shit happen yes one way or another (laughs) she's gonna get done I really admire that a lot (laughs) totally me too I love it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Us too. Let us know what you think. Please definitely donate. Please check out darkbeauty.com. drkbeauty.com. Check out the Instagram. And yeah, support these guys. And definitely if you need help, please go and join their newsletter. And if you're a clinician, yeah, yeah, go and and chat with those. Yeah, get involved. Let's all get involved. What can we do? Mm -hmm. That's what this year is about. Just looking around and being like, how do you help your community? Yeah, what can we do? Mm -hmm. I love it. It's true. So, guys, you can help us out. I know another Instagram you could follow. I know. (laughs) You can follow us at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast or at True Beauty Brooklyn. And you can write us your letters, your listener letters at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe. That'd be nice. We appreciate it. We would like it very, 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 very much. Please. <laughs> Please. And what else? I'm actually begging. I know, guys. <laughs> come on. Just like, hook it up. It takes like a second. But only like it. nice reviews. Five stars only. Thanks. We don't take any less. Just like our Yelp. Our Yelp only has five stars. It's pretty awesome. I mean, that's true. Also. We didn't You're even right. make that happen. It just happened. Didn't even ask for those. We're not even. We didn't even beg for those. We were begging you guys at the end of the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it then, right? Yeah. What you got to say? I guess we'll see you next time. I guess we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.